Okay, we're going Okay, I guess we're going to have to do some manual adjustments. Um, last time I used it, it was working. I guess batteries died too. <laughs> okay. Uh, justification for prison ministry. And of course, on this part, and you have your handouts, um, we're going to, to let you follow along in, in the handouts as we go from the screen. We do, we're going to do part from the screen and part uh, we won't do from the screen. Uh, but the first part is what I call prophetic justification for doing prison ministry. Uh, and if we're going to do prison ministry, certainly uh, the prophet, our prophetess ought to tell us something uh, about what we should do. Uh, and, the, and so we want to look at prophetic we want to look at biblical, and we want to look at social justification for doing prison ministry. And all of these are very, very important. So if you would turn in your handouts to um, prophetic justification, um, and we'll, we'll go from there. So what we're seeing um, from a prophetic standpoint, we're seeing... Uh, the reason why we ought to do prison ministry. Okay, so uh, here is he's saying, um, let, me, let me flip over because I think we, we're in biblical. Let's flip over to biblical and we might have to go back to prophetic. Okay, so it's, it says that for I was hungry and what? And you, what did you do? You gave me what? Meat. Meat and thirst, and you gave me drink. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Now, what the Lord is really putting before us, he's, he's putting forth a missionary itinerary to the church. Um, because he, he said that when he was hungry, he wanted us to do what? To feed uh, the hungry. Now, our churches ought to be open more than one day a week. Uh, we ought to be more than seven, Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, so we'll come to church on Sabbath. Uh, we'll probably show back up the next Sabbath. Uh, we may not show, we may show up for prayer meeting and we may not. Um, but this community ought to be able to recognize this church as a vital outreach component in this community. Uh, something ought to be going on in here all the time. Uh, so then I'm sure that even in this beautiful state that there are a lot of people here who are hungry and who don't have food to eat. Uh, so if we had had this ministry over where we feed the hungry. You don't have to do it every day, but if you just chose one day out of the week and you fed those who were hungry, uh, it would make an impact in this community. Wouldn't it be sad for this church to burn down and nobody would miss it? Uh, so we need to be involved in doing outreach. I need, 
And as we talk about prison ministry, and I'm going to share with you also that some of you may be afraid to go behind the walls and hear those doors slam behind you. Uh, it may scare you half to death, uh, but I'm, I'm going to assure you before I leave uh, that you all can do prison ministry. And if you had any playhouses built about being afraid to do prison ministry, they're all going to be torn down uh, so that nobody will have a, an excuse not to do it. Okay, so then he, was, he said, I was thirsty. And what did he get? He got a drink. And in other words, give water to the thirsty. Uh, that's his itinerary that he's placing before us. And then he said he was in prison. Now the thing that, that Jesus is saying, he didn't say you were in prison. He said I was in prison. And you did what? You, you came to see me. I, so when we go to the prison, we recognize that in here are Christ's children. And we are going to see them. Now, the devil thinks that those are his children. Now, he played a significant part for getting them there. He tried his best to destroy them, but God told him that he was alive that these are my children. Now, I, I don't know whether you have any tornadoes in this area, but we get plenty of them in our area. Get hurricanes here, okay? In our area, we get tornadoes. And out of all of the, the time that I've done prison ministry, guess what? I've never seen a tornado hit a prison. Uh, I've seen a tornado come down the river behind the prison and split in two tornadoes and go around the prison and go downtown and tear up downtown Nashville. Uh, the only time that I've seen where prisoners had to be taken out of their cells was, was Hurricane with uh, Katrina. Uh, they had to use prisoners to help evacuate uh, some of the things in the city and move them to a, to a higher ground. That's the only time. But God has children there, and he protects the children. And if, if it were left up to Satan, he would destroy them right there in prison and try to make sure that they didn't make it. But God got children there, and Christ himself was a prisoner. So he got, has a natural affinity. Next slide. Then he said he hungry, you, you fed, fed me. Me not uh, thirsty and gave me, gave me drink. And he asked, when did you see all of this? And I was naked and in prison. And what did Jesus say that if you've done it to the what? Least of these, you have done it unto me. So in Christ's itinerary to his church as far as prison ministry is concerned, uh, this is not a happenstance ministry. Prison ministry was intentional that Jesus did. The last ministry that Jesus did was prison ministry. Uh, when he was on Calvary, hanging between two thieves, uh, he died a criminal death himself. In fact, he was 
In my estimation, he was a prison chaplain on death row. And he ministered one man feet, and his life was committed to eternal life, and the other one chose eternal damnation. He didn't have to go that way. But Jesus offered him an opportunity in prison ministry, just like he wants us to do, to offer the men and women of prison an opportunity to hear this message and to be saved into, into his eternal kingdom. Jesus did seven basic ministries that are mentioned in, in, uh, in uh, this great commission in Matthew 25. And the last one he mentioned was prison ministry. And seven is the number of completeness. So Jesus said that my ministry is complete. I've reached out to the prisoners, the downtrodden. Trodden. And, and the thing is that Christ did not die in Jerusalem, in the city, in the walls of Jerusalem. They hung him on Calvary, high and lifted up so that the world could see him. The world could know that prison ministry is an important ministry and it must not be placed on the back burner. Sometimes in our conferences, for the longest, no one would even touch prison ministry. Nobody would support it. And I didn't know whether because the guys in prison didn't have a tied base that the conference did not go and try to help. And even those of us who worked as chaplains in the prison who are ordained ministers of the church, uh, we did not get the support from the conference that we needed. Uh, and, and it was simply because of the fact, because we worked for state government, the conference had no control over us. And so we didn't get support. We didn't get the things that we needed in order to do it. But be as it may, we recognized that we were there to hold up the standards of the church, to proclaim the gospel, just like anybody else who was in the pulpit. And sometimes guys will say to you when you're in prison ministry and working with the inmates, when are you coming back to the ministry? Well, prison ministry is the ministry. Uh, because you're laboring for souls and I really enjoyed prison ministry. It was some of the, the best times of my life. No two days were never the same. Uh, and they were all exciting days. Next slide. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, ye have done it unto me. And that's a testimony when Jesus says that you thought you were dealing with a nobody, but you were dealing with me. You did it to me. So one of the things that you're going to be excited about when you get to heaven is that one of these men or women going to walk up to you and they're going to touch you on the shoulder and they're going to say, if it were not for you, I wouldn't be here. That'll be a reason for you to shout. Oh, all right. So we just hope that you don't turn over the welcome table amen. while you're getting all excited about the person that you had that influence on. 
So you never know how much influence you're having. God simply tells us to go sow the seed and give them the message. And we never know what's going to come on. And I remember I have a cousin. Uh, he's a cousin by marriage because he married my wife's first cousin. And when I first met him, little did I know that would be the case. So the first time I saw him, I was just simply uh, talking to him one day, and he was, he was kind of like a chain smoker. And I said to him, I said, no, James, uh, every time you smoke this cigarette, you take 10 to 12 minutes of your life away. And, well, I said 7 to 12. And every time I was passing from then on, I wouldn't really say anything to him but seven minutes. And finally, he joined the church. He gave up cigarettes. He got a good wife that was very inspirational to him. And so he's become one of the best cousins that you can have. And he's a deacon at the church, director of men's ministry, a youth Sabbath school teacher. And the Lord has really blessed him. And he became an excellent painter, so he paint houses like Raphael paint pictures. That's how good he is. Uh, the next one. Can you see that? It's kind of hard for you to see, but it's, it's, a, it's a part of the Great Commission of Christ. That's all Matthew 25 is. It's the great commission of Christ, and, it's, and I call it the, the theological imperative. <coughs> and the reason is, is because Christ placed emphasis upon this ministry. And we already just spoke a little bit about him hanging on Calvary, so we're going past that. And so Christ says that is this not the fast that I have chosen? Now, when you choose a fast, you got to do something special, don't you? It's not something that you do happenstance. You got to make preparation for this. It has to be something that's important and very dear to you. So he said, is not this the fast that I have chosen? And, and the, the fast is that he made prison ministry a priority in his life. And when we do prison ministry, that's what we have to do. We have to make it a priority in our life. It has to be something that we'd rather do than to do anything else in the entire world. And so he said that he was going to loose the bands of wickedness. Now, when Lazarus was in the grave, um, one of the things that Jesus said was loose him and let him go. And so what's happening here is the fact that Jesus is loosing the bands of wickedness. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so he's going to let the oppressed go free. He's going to break every yoke. Now, letting the oppressed and setting the captives free doesn't mean that when you accept Jesus Christ that the jail cell is going to automatically pop open. 
It means that the mind becomes free, that the personality becomes reorientated, his master motives change, he becomes a new creature in Christ. All things now become new. And so that's what the power of the gospel does uh, for one. And so now, as we labor with him, they now become bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, it's saying that we must treat the inmate that we are working with uh, just as if we want to be treated. Thank you. <clears throat> and we must do that because of the fact that we, we are treating one of God's children. And Jesus said, I was in prison. And so we must always be kind to uh, them. And the thing that I learned about being kind to inmates is that if anything transpired inside of the prison, they always had my back. So I always treated them like they were human. And that's why in, in 1983, when they had a prison riot, um, I was able to, to walk out of the prison escorted by the inmates because they had told me that if anything go down, if nobody else get out of this prison, you're going to get out. And that comes from treating them right. Treating them like they are people, like they are persons, treating them with dignity and respect. And when you do that, uh, they respect you. And many times I'm out in the grocery store, they walk up behind me and touch me on the shoulder and say, hey, chap. And I turn around and speak to them. They'll, they'll blow at me on the highway and we pull up on the side of the road and talk. Uh, it's all because of respect. So respect will take you a long ways, but the lack of it will cut your life short. And so the inmates would always say that particular quote to me. And, but the thing is that I want you to, to realize that even those that work, you work with and have, they have made mistakes, still treat them with dignity and respect. And you'll get more accomplished uh, than you would without with trying to be harsh and stern. So there have been some guys that have come from, from institutions where it's like maximum security, you have to come down to minimum, and they still have a, uh, one of those hard prison personas. They feel like they got to be protective and tough all the way down and not recognize the fact that you're getting ready to go out of the prison and you need to slow up, slacken up, try to adjust and adapt because now you got to reintegrate. And it's sad when someone has been in prison for 26 years and so much has changed in the world that they don't even know what an escalator is. And when you take them downtown to try to help them to get adjusted, they're scared to step on the es escalator because they're saying, I don't know about these rolling steps. 
Uh, it got to go through a whole lot of just if you're out of the community for two years, a lot changes. So it's important uh, to make that adjustment. And so that's Isaiah 58. So we move to uh, the next slide. And maybe that'll come up a little bit better that you can see it. And so here is Christ talks about loosening the bands of wickedness. Men and women in prison are sailing up on a sea of wickedness with no compass or sense of direction. And they don't have that sense of direction unless you go in and you give it to them. See, what I said to you earlier is that you are Christ's ambassadors. God has given you both power and authority to do his work. So you don't either have to go in and shaking and scared and wondering about what you want to going to do or say. God has promised you that if you open your mouth wide, he'll fill it. He promised you that in, in the vision of Psalm, the 89th vision of Psalm, that he would do that for you. And Operation Set Free talks about undoing the heavy burden through elevating the power of the gospel, letting the oppressed go free. The gospel liberates the mind and makes doing time more tolerable in your life. And, and it breaks the yokes, it stops the curses. And this is important, that when we work with prisoners, not only working with them, but working with their families. Uh, because some kids think that going to prison is the rite of passage. That my dad is there, my mom is there, so I got to go. Everybody I know is in prison. But we have to break that curse upon those kids and let them know that you don't have to do that because your father and your, and your mom did that. So the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach glad tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Again, it's just talking about freeing the mind. Freeing the mind so that you can live a better and more productive life when you get on the outside of the prison. It talks about the Mashiach, I guess you can't see this, but all that means is anointed. That word just means anointed. And so what I'm saying to you is that all of you have been anointed to go into the prison and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And if you don't know that you've been anointed, I'm just going to tell you again, all of you have been anointed to go inside of the prison and to tell others about Jesus uh, because it is the good news of salvation. This prison prophetic initiative, and this one probably is the first one I, I had you to flip from. You can flip back to that. It says that Christ identifies himself with how many children of humanity? Every child of humanity, 
So even, do that mean the prisoners? Do that mean those who've been kicked to the curb? Do that mean the homeless? Uh, those that we snub our nose up at, do that mean them too? Christ identifies with every child of humanity. Why, do, why does he identify with them? Because he came and he what? Died for them just like he did for anybody else. So we all become equal at the foot of the cross. And say that in order that what? That we might become what? Members of the heavenly family. He became a member of the earthly family. He is a son of man and thus the brother of all of us. Every son and daughter of Adam. That means the prisoners too. And trying to show you the importance of this. Now, his followers, it says, are, are not to be detached. If you follow along in, in, your, in your booklet, are not to be detached uh, from the perishing world around them. In other words, it, we are not to be so complacent and so engrossed in our own selfish desires that we forget about what's going on around us. Now, when guys and, and ladies and children get locked up in prison or the juvenile detention centers, don't think that that doesn't affect you. It affects you socially. It affects you economically. Uh, it, it hurts our pocketbook. Now, when they, if they go and they shoplift and they steal out of the store, who pays? We pay because the price goes up. You know, that package of bologna or chicken that they stole, uh, we pay for the increased price of chicken and bologna uh, because they are trying to recoup uh, their losses. So we are not to be detached from all of this. It is our duty to be involved in our communities not only to try to make our communities safe, but to try to encourage those who don't have the skills or the knowledge, or who are drifting away and dropping out of school, uh, to stay in school, get education, get trades, and to do the kind of outreach that the church ought to do to reach out uh, to these individuals. Because did you know that, that when I looked at statistics in prisons in the United States of America that 82% of the guys who drop out of school uh, in, uh, in the, from the 10th grade back end up in prison. And 50% of them are functionally illiterate. Uh, can't, so many of them can't read more than a third grade level. And some of them can't read and write at all. So you see the opportunity for ministry, even if you did volunteer literacy, even if you did adult basic education, even if you worked in the system with, with, with helping them to get GEDs, that is ministry. Ministry is not confined to a church or in the pulpit. It's not confined to Sabbath school or any auxiliaries we, that we have. Ministry is getting out and reaching out to people where people are whether they're in the streets or whether they locked up behind 
uh, prison walls. And so, so it's easy for us to take the position. Out of sight, out of mind. You did the crime, you do the time. And like one of, one of my friends used to say, black man, white man, red. If you do the crime, you too will have a bed. And it doesn't matter because prison is not a respect of people. And so every deed of kindness that we do to uplift our fallen soul, Jesus accepts it as we have done it unto him. Now, that should be really confident to us when we do kind. So it, it pays to be kind because if we're not kind, then we're not working for Christ, we're working for who? The devil. Uh, and none of us want to be on the devil's payroll. Uh, and, I, and I'm pretty confident about that. <laughs> and if you, if, that, if you want to be on the devil's payroll, you sure wouldn't be here in the church today. Okay, then we're, we're going down a little bit more. And it says here that in, in the great day, a great judgment day, those who have not worked for Christ, who have drifted along, thinking of themselves, caring for themselves, will be placed by the judge of the whole earth with those who, what? Do evil. They receive the same condemnation. In other words, what it is really saying is that if you become so selfish that all you do is think about yourself as life goes on, uh, then you're going to receive the same condemnation. But why? Because Lucifer was, Lucifer was selfish, wasn't he? And so, out of all of the sins that Man commit. Sister White says that selfishness was at the top of the list. And the reason is because God knew what happened in heaven when Lucifer became selfish. So he does not want us to be selfish and to just drift along and, and be consumed with ourselves that we never try to help others. And you don't receive a blessing in life unless you move beyond self and try to help others who are in need. Okay, one more I want to just share with you on, you can hold right there, uh, share with you in your booklet. Uh, it's, it's the one that talks about the love to man. It's one of the other quotes. It's near the bottom of the next page. You see that one? Okay. Love to man is an earthly manifestation of God's love. And, and this is without condition. It's without condition because of the fact that it's based on the two great commandments. The love of who? God and the love for who else? Your fellow man. So it's important. And, if it, and I'm, while I'm going along, let me just say that if you have a question, uh, you can always feel free to ask 
Because to me, no question is too ignorant or too dumb or too stupid to ask. The only dumb question that I'm concerned, that I, I think is a dumb question is the one that you don't ask because you can't get an answer to it. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Thank you for bringing it out. <clears throat> and then it's, it says that, that God can and will use those who have not a thorough education in the school of men. A lot of people don't want to go in and say, well, I, I haven't been to AUC or PUC or CUC. Uh, God doesn't care about a C. All God cares about is you what you're going to do, and how you can work in his plan. So if God could, could, could make a donkey talk, or what about me? Um, here is Moses saying, Lord, I, don't, I can't speak good English. I stutter. I, I have dangling participles. I don't know how to express my infinities or gerund phrases or... I, I can't even get my subject and verbs right. And God said to him, well, who made your mouth? God says the same thing to us today. God can do anything. Is there anything too hard for God to do? If God can make a 90-year-old woman get pregnant and have a son, you know, he can do anything. If he can make an ax float, he can do anything. If he can make water come up out of a rock, he can do anything. If he can get to the Red Sea and split it open and it becomes <clears throat> the uh, Highway 19 through the Red Sea, God can do anything. It didn't, it didn't and they went on dry ground across and showing the omnipotent power of God. And God does not want us to have that type of of unbelief, we must believe that he's all-powerful. We must believe that he can do anything. And Sister White tells us that, that this, this uncalled for, distrustful caution must be eliminated from us. We cannot be afraid. God will even make the sun stand still. And the earth stop, stop rotating. It, God will even interrupt the planetary laws so that you can do his work. That's how much he cares about his work being done. That's how much he cares about uh, those who need to hear the gospel message. And if you don't take it, then who? Who's going to do it? God can make the rocks cry out. God could take some of the sheep and the cows that I passed coming up here. He could make them talk if he wanted to. 
But God wants you because you are the crowning work of his creation. And in spite of how you look at it and how you feel about it, guess what? All I see in this room today is kings and queens, God's kings and queens. And when God made us, he didn't make no junk. He made us perfect, and he cares so much about us that he would just give his life and die for us. Okay, we're going to look at some antisocial patterns, and we're going to move kind of ahead a little bit uh, to some of the things. And the thing is, antisocial is, is when we do not comply to the rules of society, uh, then we get in trouble, so it becomes antisocial in the aspect of how society operates uh, its laws to keep society safe and the moral values that society embraces. Uh, so when we don't follow those and, and we, if we rob a bank, then that's antisocial. Uh, if we steal, that's antisocial because we're not following the moral laws or the civil laws of the community. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Here's an interesting fact why we need to do prison ministry. In the United States of America, over 2.3 million people are behind bars. America had more people locked up in prison than any country in the world. In fact, California had more people locked up in prison than six countries. In the world around, we have 9.2 million people locked up uh, in prison in the world. And, and when you look at the United States and you look at our neighbor Canada, Canada has only 31,000 people locked up in prison. And, and we look at California and Texas, they're way past that. Uh, in fact, Texas has the most people locked up in prison. California. Pardon? Tennessee. And Tennessee, we, we're right at 30,000. Pardon? Right. Right. And, and it's growing. Right. So Florida became number three. There's, there's a lot of people locked up in the United States of America. Um, where did it go? Okay. And so here it shows you some of the largest jail populations uh, that we have in the United States. Los Angeles, uh, New York, Cook County, um, Texas, uh, and, uh, and Florida. Texas S um, execute or um, electrocute more inmates than any country in any state in, in the United States, followed by Oklahoma. Less than a third of the guys in prison have committed violent crimes. And 85% of the guys who are in, in prison, it's kind of drug-induced, uh, some kind of drug involvement. And that's when Men and, and women were locked up. Um, one out of every 150 Americans are, are incarcerated. That, 
average has been dropped. Uh, and from what I saw not too long ago, it's almost like one out of 37. Uh, one out of every three uh, black men in the, in the states are locked up in prison or on some kind of parole or, or correctional supervision. And that's a, a stat that's way, way out of line that needs to be corrected. Prisons, about a 40 or $50 billion industry. I want to correct that and make the adjustment that prisons um, are a $67 billion industry. More money is spilt, spent on prisons than on education. So what does that tell us? is that the government care more about a young person going to prison than they do about them getting an education. And what prisons are built on now in the United States of America, they're built on the Chicago uh, method. Uh, from the third grade, they start looking at children uh, in the third grade, and they build the prisons according to that. And they're building more and more prisons. In the last 20, 20 years, California has built 21 prisons. Uh, and they have billions of dollars that they spend uh, on prisons. And so what a prison becomes, be, let me get you in a second. What a prison becomes, it becomes an economic form of slavery. They are laughing all the way to the bank. It's slavery from the standpoint that Inmates, are, if you're not skilled, skilled, you get 17 cents an hour. If you're semi-skilled, you get 34 cents an hour. If you're skilled, you get 50 cents an hour. And so it's, it's where the guys are being utilized to keep the, keep the system going. And, and my thing is a lot of time is that I would try to make some provision where the guys could make uh, minimum wage and make them pay for being in there out of their pockets. And that would probably hurt them more than anything else and help them to be able to stay away from it. And for some, I, I think for the majority of work, except for some who may be so institutionalized that they feel that as long as I got uh, three meals in a cot, uh, my water bill paid, my light bill paid, uh, my food bill is paid, my medical bill is paid, so I don't need to be outside. Uh, and we have had a guy who was in there 24 years and got out and crawled back into prison that night after he had been released uh, and said, I can't make it out here. And so we had to put him out again the next day. We have a question. Okay, we will. Right. We do need to, to understand the public. Because in the public, public system, uh, is driven by the state and budgets and appropriations that the state makes uh, to operate uh, prisons. And, and what the, the big difference between private and, and uh, public is that private prisons are in there for profit. Uh, in, and when a guy goes out and comes back, that's really uh, exciting to them uh, because now I can make some more money uh, off of them. Correction, 
Corporation of America, a private-run prison. Um, they have a number of prisons, and that stock is high. Um, once Correction Corporation of America stock split three times in one year, and people were laughing all the way to the bank uh, because they made a lot of money. The thing about it, Correction Corporation America stock is that guys are going to always be coming to prison, so your investment in the stock probably going to be always good. And they really are, are excited about guys recidivating and coming back because seven out of every ten guys who get out of prison come back to prison. Okay, that's, that's true. Uh, and I, I think you have some experience in the federal system, right? Uh, so I know that you would have a lot of background uh, in that also. Um, but in, in the state system, you know, for security, bachelor's degree, not a bachelor's degree, but a high school ed, and sometimes the training is not, not good. Uh, sometimes they don't know how to handle a situation. We have had people who've held down chaplains like with degrees in history and English, uh, which they were very well out of control, didn't know how to deal with guys. So the training, a lot of training in the state system was not really, really good. And I don't know uh, in the private system how good it was. Most states have special need institutions for those who have mental problems and so forth. Uh, and I did work in a, in a special need institution for a little bit. I uh, worked in the prison for women for a little while. And uh, to me, the worst prison was the women's prison. Uh, and that was only since they whined a lot. And so they were real conniving. It wasn't that they were worse than the guys so that much. But guys were, didn't whine as much. Uh, they might have been a little bit more violent at times. But there were some tough sisters um, that were there. And, but it was a good experience uh, to work in, in all facets of it. And so I'm going to try to, I've still got on Nashville time, so I guess it's 8, it's 10.30. OK, all right. Yes. 
Yeah, one out of every three, uh, either in prison or on some correctional supervision. What I think is a, is a combination of things. Uh, one son was single parent, some in poverty, uh, can't get jobs, dropping out of school. Uh, there's a whole complexity of issues uh, that transpire that, that caused that to, to transpire that. And if you're, if you're black and if you're white and you, if you're poor, you're white and you're poor. And if you're black, you have a, a less chance of getting good representation when you go to court uh, to avoid uh, getting locked up. And a lot of guys, uh, lot of guys who come to prison, well, the police tell them that you need to take this charge or we're going to put all of these on you. And so they take a, a plea bargain. Uh, in order to keep from having to do maybe 30 or 40 years where they can get out in five years. Uh, and so a lot of them are there because of that and had nothing to do with all of those crimes. So it becomes a, a survival thing for them. Yeah. Right. Yep, and and it's it's sad. I hate that they can't get a good trial. Racial profiling. Okay. It's like guilty straight off the bat. Okay. and but. Okay, and a lot of that happens too. Well, it. Right, and that happens, you know, quite often. Uh, and the other thing that that I, I noted was that in the, in the women's prison there were there were five hundred and thirty six um, sexual offenses that were were done by security officers to women, and all of I think maybe. 56% of them might have been acknowledged, but only 9% of them that really oh, was you know, kind of presented for, for further scrutiny in terms of, of giving some type of uh, sentence for the guys who did it. Uh, so a lot of people in prison get taken advantage of. There are a lot of people in prison who are innocent. There are a lot of people who are in prison who say I'm innocent and know they're guilty is everything. Um, <laughs> And the government is, is now letting uh, a lot of people go uh, who had said they were, that they were supposed to be guilty and they found out that they're not guilty. And there are guys who've been on death row for, 
for, for rape and so forth. And, and then they finally find out that hey, they didn't do that. And so they let them go. And that's happening quite a bit here lately. Uh, you can look at the number of children in the U.S. who have mothers in, in prison. Uh, I think about 7 million children are affected by mothers or fathers being locked up in prison. Uh, and because uh, every year you, you got about 600,000 people coming back into the community out of prison. And then, you, then they're on, on, on parole, uh, some type of probation. Uh, so the children are still being affected. Uh, the majority of, of women in prison are incarcerated for defending themselves for abusive husbands. And black women get more time in, in prison for defending abusive husbands uh, than, than people who are of non-color. Um, and the thing that I, I hate about when it comes to women dealing, dealing with women uh, getting abused by a husband or, or somebody is that if a woman defends herself against an abusive husband, she would end up getting more time in prison if the man had killed her. Uh, a man could kill his wife and get six years and be out. Uh, a woman could kill her spouse and get 40 years and have a hard time getting out. Uh, and I've seen that happen over and over inside of the prison system. And this is another section here that we want to deal with, and I'll cut off whenever we need to cut off. Um, but why should you even be interested in working in a prison? Uh, look at who you got to work with. Murderers, sadistic killers. Rapists, child molesters, drug dealers, robbers. Why should, why should I waste my time with them? They, they did it. Let them work out their own soul salvation with fear and trembling inside of the cells. Um, so we can take that position. But until, you know, this is the thing that, that, that always intrigues me, that we take that position sometimes until our own children or somebody in our family get locked up. Then we change our tune. Uh, because all of us are just a step of the way from getting locked up. And if you don't believe me, drive home today and run head on with somebody and hit them and you live and they die you get a charge with vehicular homicide. And you could be in prison. Uh, it's very easy uh, to get in. Uh, sometimes you could be in the wrong position at the wrong time and have nothing to do with nothing and get framed. Sometimes you may pick somebody up and just give them a ride and you may not know they have drugs on them. And when the police stop and search them, uh, then guess who's going to jail? Everybody in the car going to jail. So we can, we all are vulnerable uh, when it comes to this. Um, but in spite of that, God wants us to work with those. So why he wants you to work with them? Because you are the best 
channel for communicating the grace of God. You are the conduit pipes that the Holy Ghost flows through. You are the one that can, can reach them. You are the one that God has endowed with a special unction from on high to reach out and to touch those who need direction in their life, who need to experience the power of God, the fulfillment of his love and his grace and his mercy into their lives. You are the one that can do that. And so God tells you, I want you to go into prison. I want you to throw out the net like you do in Hawaii when you go out fishing on, on the ocean or, or the lakes around. Throw out the net. When you throw it out there, when you pull a net in, you could have anything in the net. You might have some lobsters. You might have some oysters. You may have an eel. You may have a shark. You may have red snappers. Uh, you may have whatever fish that they really love in this area, in that net. But Jesus had fish. And when you pull in the net, guess what? He didn't ask you to clean any of them. That's the work of the Holy Ghost, to clean the fish. What happens when we clean the fish? Because the first thing we want to do is start trying to indoctrinate them. You got to stop smoking. You got to quit eating that pig meat. Uh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And what happens to the fish is that we mess the fish up. The fish become lame. The fish become emaciated. Uh, like the spiritual nurture that we need, they need because our little idiosyncrasies and spiritual uh, pet peeves that we have, we try to push them on them and they are still babes. They haven't put on diapers yet because you are reaching out to them. They still need the milk. And so when you, you, you throw it out, don't try to change them uh, because Jesus is the sum total of the law. When Jesus gets in the heart, you will change. When Jesus got in my heart, he changed me. He had to change me from eating barbecue pork sandwiches. He had to change me from going shopping uh, on the Sabbath. I didn't know any different when I joined the church. But, but there was somebody along the wayside who was not Adventist who could tell me that Adventists don't eat pork. Adventists don't go shopping. So he gave me a Bible study not even the church gave it to me, but he did. But it was letting me know that what happened to me was the power of the love of Christ that changed me. It wasn't about beating me across the head with doctrines. Love is what changed them. When you reach out to them and when you bring them in, love them. When they come from the prison and come to the church, love them. 
Don't snub your nose up at them. If they come in, embrace them, greet them. Don't smile to this end of the pew and say, I don't want to sit by him because he just got out of prison. Befriend him because God's power can change anybody. If it stops a cannibal chief from eating people and begin to spread his love to save people, then you know it can do that for them. God sends those men and women out of prison to your church, not even so much for them, but for us. Because some of us need to be changed. We need to get some things out of our heart. And God places people there to help us. So we can't be like Paul and kick against the pricks. We have to accept Jesus and his power and his love in our lives and know that those people that he sent from the prison uh, to be among us are his treasury. They might have been uh, in a lot of pain in their life, like a diseased oyster. Uh, pearls come from diseased oysters. Because the oyster get a grain of sand under the cuticle, it can't get it out because it doesn't have hands. But it secretes a solution, and it keeps covering that grain of sand until it becomes a pearl. So as we work with them, and as we share God's love with them, that person who might have been a diseased oyster at one time, now is becoming a pearl of great price because the righteousness of Christ is now covering this individual. Why, he's no longer a rough stone, but he is a shining stone because the enlightenment from Shekinah glory, from the power on high, is now changing him. And he becomes a pearl of great price, and it is a reflection of your ministry and what you have done for Jesus Christ. So fish don't change. Fish don't tell them you can't go over here and go over there and be bothered with that other church because we're the only church that we're the truth. Don't tell them that. That's the easy way to get kicked out of the prison when you do prison ministry. It's the proselyte to try to steal the sheep from other denominations. Uh, just fish. And if they're serious about the word of God, God's word will change anyone. Next slide. And so here you can see that Jesus has a natural affinity for those who are downtrodden. And look at Mary Magdalene, the publican, the criminals, those who engrossed the property. Jesus had a natural affinity. And I want to kind of close with, with uh, three things, three ways that you can know that you are called. Uh, one is by inspiration. Uh, inspiration comes from the Greek word theopneutos. It means God breathed. When the Spirit of God moves upon your heart and it starts reverberating down in your soul and you become Jack, like Jeremiah. There's a fire pent up in me and I can't be still. 
I got to do it because it's in me. I feel the unction from on high. I feel the driving force of the Holy Ghost coming upon me. And I want to do it. That's, that's, that's inspiration. Where the power of God is ushered upon you and within you. And you got this overwhelming desire to do prison ministry. That's a call by inspiration. And, and, and when you watch your brothers and your sisters go into the prison and they come back and they're having a shout hallelujah good time. Telling you how good and how excited I am about prison ministry. Sharing with you stories and it, and it, it makes you feel like man they have already gone down hallelujah boulevard in heaven and they turn up glory avenue and they've been sitting before the throne of god and and, and you can see their excitement you said man i want some of that and you join by association that's your call by association and then you don't want the third one, that confrontation. You don't want to be like Paul when he was going down to Damascus, the rays came, and Jesus had to pop him. You don't want Jesus to have to do that uh, to you. But those are the three ways to be called, and, and, and I suggest the first two and not the third one. Because God is in need of you. He needs you to do this work. Anybody else he could call, but he called you to do it. And I believe that in your heart that if you give it all to the Lord, he will enable you to do it. And, 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 it's, and I'm going to share some ways with you in which you can be assured that you can do prison ministry without even going behind the prison walls. I'm going to share a number of those ways with you today. So what it's going to do, it's going to tear down your playhouse. If you say, I'm scared, I don't want to hit those doors, slam. I can't do it. But there's so much outside that you can do that's still prison ministry. And I want to share that with you. Um, before I get out of here today. All right, thank you.